Awesome. My own? Awesome. Well, good morning. We are glad that you are here today. Uh, so, just to address it, so clearly I am not John. I don't even own a vest, so. But, what's that? <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, probably the first question you're wondering is where is John? Uh, John's a little bit under the weather today, but don't worry. Uh, he's doing fine. He wants to be here, uh, but he is following the example that we ask everyone to follow. If you're not feeling well, don't come. So no one's going to hold that against you. So uh, John's not here, but you have me instead. So I will be your substitute preacher. A substitute preacher is a lot like a substitute teacher, except for the teacher did not give me any lesson plans or anything. So I just going to make up whatever I want to do today. It should be fun for both of us. Uh, but for those of you who don't know me, my name is Luke Skidmore. I'm one of the elders here at Rush Church, uh, and I'm just happy to be able to share with you some things that have been on my heart for a while. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're going to put a pause on some of the things that John has been talking about. Brian alluded to it a little bit this morning already about uh, the fall and, and uh, the series that John has been going through. But I want to build on what John talked about last week and talk about something that we all experience in our lives. And I really want to talk about persevering through hope. I don't know about you, but for me, it seems like 2020 and 2021 feels a little bit like the movie Groundhog Day. Where it seems like we're doing the same thing over and over again. Now, some of you didn't laugh. Some of you don't know what the movie Groundhog Day is. And I say from the deepest part of my heart, shame on you if you don't know what that movie is. Um, but in this movie, Bill Murray plays one of these classic characters where he lives the same day over and over and over again. And he can't seem to break the cycle. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, going through all these different struggles and problems. And it feels like we're doing the same thing here and now. And I'm not talking about the political stuff. I'm not even really talking about COVID. I'm talking about what it feels like when nothing seems to go according to the plan. Or at least the plan that I have. That life seems hard and unfair. Now, before we get into that, does it, do any of you know this guy? Let's see if we have a slide here, see if it works. Anyone recognize this guy? Probably not. This guy is a, a named Cliff Young. I can remember his name because to me it's an amalgamation of Cliff Core and John Young. So this is Cliff Young. Cliff Young was a potato farmer in Victoria, Australia. In 1983, at the age of 61, Cliff Young entered the Westfield Ultramarathon. The ultramarathon was sponsored by Westfield Malls and went from the Westfield Mall in Sydney to Westfield Mall in Melbourne, Australia. It was a total distance of 544 miles. This was some race. And Young showed up to the race in overalls and gumboots, kind of like the ones he's, he's holding there. 
to prepare for the race, what he did was he actually cut holes in his pants for ventilation. And he decided to take out his dentures because they rattled too much when he was running. The other competitors felt bad for him, so one of them even lent him a pair of running shoes to run this race. At the end of the first day, Cliff Young was significantly behind the rest of the pack. Um, Running the race with him, there was five other professional runners, and each of them would choose to sleep anywhere from four to six hours per night but not Cliff. Occasionally, he would take a break, but never for long. He wasn't fast, but he was efficient. It almost looked like he was shuffling as he was moving. Cliff Young kept running and running and running, and people in the media started paying attention to Cliff. It was the classic tortoise in the hare race. How long could Cliff run? Because this was Australia, too. I mean, it's not like the place is, you know, a temperate climate. This was a tough, tough run. They were placing bets on when his body would implode. After five days, 15 hours, and four minutes, Cliff Young completed the Westfield Ultra Marathon in first place, finishing seven hours to his nearest competitor, breaking all previous records. When they awarded him the prize money of $10,000, he admitted he didn't even know there was a prize and felt bad taking the money because all the other people had trained really hard for this and they had run the race as well. So he actually split the money and gave it all to them and kept none for himself. So I want to think about this for a minute. What makes a guy like Cliff Young keep going? What motivates a guy like that for five days? Now, where are my runners in here? Anyone like running? Okay. As you can tell, that's not my forte. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not a runner, never been a runner, never going to be a runner. Uh, but if I were to set off running from here to the post office in Russellvania... I know there's probably going to be something that ends up stopping me. And I probably would complete it. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, you know, whether it's my shins hurt or there's going to be something that makes it difficult for me to complete that task. But what makes you decide to keep on going? What is it that keeps people striving on or persevering when things get really tough? And I'm not talking about running. I'm talking about life. What truly keeps you going down that path? What makes you persevere? And that's the exact question I want to take a look at today. So we're going to turn with me. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to spend most of our time there. We're going to dig in deep into these verses. Uh, it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but we're going to look at what Paul says here about this exact topic in Romans 5. And he says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith 
into grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into the hearts into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom has been given to us. There's a lot to talk about in this little section of verse here. So what I want to do is we're going to break it down. We're going to go through this verse by verse and see what Paul is talking about and see what those characteristics are. So verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't know I was going to be standing here this morning. I didn't know that, that Brian was going to be talking about the things that Brian was going to be talking about this morning. But he hit on the exact thing that Paul is talking about here. You could literally take Brian's words and place them now, and that's what we're going to be talking about. There's a lot in that little verse. He starts out with, therefore, anytime you see a therefore, it means he's building on something that he's already talked about. We don't have time to go back and go through all of Romans 4 right now. But if you were to do that, you can do that on your own this week. That's a good thing to do. Uh, Paul is, is talking about Abraham, and specifically about Abraham, his faith. And he talks a little bit about it's not the works that Abraham did, it's the faith that Abraham did had, which is the reason why uh, he was saved. So, it wasn't the circumcision that made him a righteous person. Paul lays out that the promise made to Abraham came through faith. And that's what he's picking up here in verse 1. So, therefore, just like Abraham, since uh, we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brian already said it. Being justified means more than forgiveness. It means that when we believe in Christ, we have faith in Jesus, and we have been made just. That is a technical term. That's a legal term. That means we become acceptable in God's sight. We're treated by God like someone who has been who has been made perfect, without blemish, without fault. He gives us the things that a person who is made right isn't entitled to. And that's what Paul's talking about. And then he goes on and says, Through him, in verse 2, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This stuff is important. These two little verses here really talk about what Christianity is really all about. It explains in a very succinct way who we really are in Christ and the gospel and the hope for those who believe. Being justified through faith is the one thing our whole life is based upon. We can rest on these two verses. So Paul goes in to these, you know, this incredible things he talked about being justified. 
And he continues on in verse 3, not only that. So he's, he's told us about this great thing that we have as Christians, but now he's like, oh, but it gets better. There's something better than that, or there's something that we add to that. And what do we add to that with? But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that it produces endurance. Does that seem like an addition to what he was talking about? Rejoicing in our sufferings? So what does it mean to rejoice in our sufferings? So we rejoice in the hope that we have in Jesus. We rejoice in the sufferings. But Paul isn't the only one to exclusively say this. He's not the only one that talks this way. It's strange when we we encounter it in other places. When we look at James 1-2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness will have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Sounds a lot like Paul here in Romans 5. 1 Peter 1.6 says, In this you rejoice, now that though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The Bible talks about this a lot. I can't even go through all of them this morning. There's probably two dozen times the Bible talks about this. Jesus talks about this. He talked about it a lot. He would say things like, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome it. It is clear that persevering through our trials and troubles is a defining characteristic of a Christian. I think about the parable that Jesus talked about in the four soils. He talks about the seed that's scattered to these four different types of soils. And one of the soils is this thorny, rocky soil that as soon as the the plant shoots up quickly, but it soon gets scorched and and affected by the the things of the world. And in in Luke 8, Jesus even explains that. He said that, That people receive the word with joy, but when trials and tribulation and suffering come along, they give up and they're burned away. The ability to rejoice in suffering is a unique and wonderful gift given to us by God, but it's also a test. It takes us down this path that Paul describes here in Romans 5. And people go through all kinds of trials. People throughout all of time have gone through all kinds of trials and suffering and things. People say that we have a lot better now than we used to. If you just go like a half a century ago, one out of four children didn't survive till their first birthday. And half of all children didn't make it out of their childhood. That's a lot of suffering. It's almost like they would kind of expect it. We all, if, you, you know, if I were probably to ask, you probably would expect some suffering in our lives. But I know that when I experience it, that's probably not my reaction. 
it's normally a, a, a reaction like, I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. Life isn't supposed to be this way. Why is this so hard? My life is meaningless. And why is that? I think we all have these ideas and notions about how our life is supposed to work. How our life, how the plan for our lives is going to get lived out. And when things don't go according to the plan, sometimes our worldview is shattered. And the closer and the, the stronger we hold on to that idea, the harder it is sometimes. When, especially when it doesn't feel like it could happen again. You see, as Christians, our worldview is different. We have the unique ability to rejoice in our sufferings. Again, that's what Paul said. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What does that really mean? Before we get to that, let's talk about what it isn't. So what Paul doesn't say here is that we rejoice even though we are suffering. I know that's a small difference, but that's an important difference. In other words, that suffering is just something we have to hang on through. It's something that we have to merely endure, that we have to muddle through, that you have to muster up all the courage that you have and get through it. That you don't wear your emotions on your sleeve. That you let, don't let anything get to you. I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. Um, and I think it makes us really miss the, the genius of the approach that's laid out here in the Bible. It isn't what we actually see displayed in the Bible. I go back to Job. and uh, you, you know, uh, We've talked about on the stage here many times all the bad things that happened to Job. We can all agree Job had some suffering in his life. And how did we see Job respond to it? Did he say, you know, I'm a strong guy, I can take care of it? No. Uh, we see that he ripped his, his clothes off, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and screamed. And the Bible says that everything Job went through, he didn't sin. So rejoicing in our suffering doesn't mean that we hold it all in and we never show any weakness. It's okay to show emotion when you're dealing with suffering. It's okay to admit that you're hurting. It's not just gritting your teeth and bearing it. The other thing it's not, it's not like masochism. You know what I mean? That, that someone is just taking suffering uh, that you know, we rejoice in our, because of our sufferings. That's not what Paul is talking about here. It's no special badge of honor that we get. It doesn't make us feel like martyrs. So if Paul isn't saying that we rejoice in spite of our suffering, or that we rejoice because of our suffering, Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings. So let's dig in to what that really means. What it means is that as Christians, we will experience grief and suffering. We are realistic that suffering will happen. It's a promise in Scripture, not the ones ones we like to talk about a lot. Not only can we rejoice in suffering, but we also rejoice in, in, in that 
that as we are going through that suffering, it, it enhances our Christian walk. I think this is played out through the life of Jesus. We see him going through all these different types of trials and issues here on earth. We see him weeping at the loss of a friend. We literally see him sweating blood, thinking and praying under the weight of what was about to happen to him on the cross. Jesus lived out rejoicing in suffering. So how do Christians live that out? You see, our sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. And why do we rejoice in suffering? We rejoice because we focus on our hope. And verse 5 really explains why that's important. Verse 5, Romans 5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope is one of the most powerful forces ever. It is a requirement for being a Christian. Dostoevsky said, to live without hope is to cease to live. And that's certainly true of those of us who are in Christ. I once heard of a study named by, done by a guy named Curtis Richter in 1954, where he was studying survival mechanisms. And I'll admit, this kind of goes in a little bit dark place. <laughs> so, what he was doing is he was actually taking rats and he would fill up these containers of water. And it would put the rats in the water and see how long they could swim. In the first group that he did it, he would put the rats in the water and would take, see how long it would take them to, to drown. And most of them would drown within about 15 minutes. This other group of rats, he put them in this, this container of water. And after a little bit, he would come and lift them back out of the water and then put them back down again. And when he did that, these rats had been given a little glimmer of hope. Some of them would swim around for three days, knowing there was a way out. Hope is a powerful force. And it's an absolute requirement for us to rejoice in suffering. Christians are going to go through all kinds of trials in life. We're going to experience death and grief and persecution. Because we have something to rejoice in, because we have our hope in Jesus, we can sense the love of Jesus on our hearts through the influence of the Holy Spirit. Hope is a powerful force. Hope is something more special. Uh, there's even more special about hope. Especially when we have in the hope in the one thing that truly matters. One of the things that can happen in our suffering is that we realize that when Christ really means the most to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? We think when we're hurting so bad, it's just minuscule compared to what Jesus went through for us. What, what he endured, the separation of God for our sin. So what I'm going through seems like a skin knee 
compared to what Jesus went through for us. When we persevere in our afflictions, when we keep holding on, when we, we, we see that hope in Jesus growing and growing, and that's how we rejoice in our suffering. Before people go through an intense trial, oftentimes they might have an intellectual understanding of who Jesus is, but oftentimes when we go through those deep and dark places, it's almost palpable what we can feel about the hope we have in Jesus. And that's what I think Paul is saying at here in Romans 5. So what does it look like to persevere in our trial? It's committing yourself to live like Jesus lived. It's following his example. It probably means doubling down. So if you're reading your Bible two times a week, you better be reading it four times a week. If you're praying once a day, you probably better be praying five times a day. It means sticking with it, digging in deep with God. It doesn't mean panic. It just means that we... We go to where we, what we know is absolutely true. We don't get character and hope unless we go through perseverance. It's a part of the process, and it doesn't happen automatically. We get to choose. So when we stay put, when we dig in, when we persevere, what does it develop? Perseverance develops character, and character must be tested and refined. In 1 Peter 1, Peter says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the, te- so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it, is tested by fire. And may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying here is that your trouble and trials should be looked at like a purifying furnace. Fire can purify metals. We put gold and those different things in there. The impurities separate out when they go through that furnace, that intense heat. Just as the gold is refined by fire, we too are refined as we go through trials. When we look at how we've planned our lives, how, what, the hope we've placed in different things, as we come into trouble, when we go through the furnace, you find out there's only one hope that can survive that kind of purification. There's only one hope that will stay put. And we go through different things. So just as an example, so say that as I'm leaving the stage for, from the sermon today, I trip and fall on these stairs. And I break my leg. And I go to the doctor, and the doctor tells me I've got some good news and bad news. Good news is your leg is going to heal. It's going to be fine. You'll be able to walk. You'll be able to, to do everything that you want to do, but you'll never be an ultramarathoner right? How do you think I'm going to react to that? I'm going to think that's great. I was never planning on being an ultramarathoner. 
That was never in my plans. But what if it was something that was in my plans? How do you think I would react? A trial is different for every one of us. It all depends on where our hopes are. We go through trials like a furnace. These lesser hopes and dreams, these things like what you look like, how smart you are, your job, your family, your friends, your health, and this list can go on and on and on. These things aren't bad. These things are good things given by God, but these things are vulnerable. We build our lives on these things, and we will build our lives on these things. We get our identity from these things. Sometimes they get interrupted by the circumstances of life. That's what John was talking about last week during the fall. There's only one hope, there's only one place where you put your hope that it cannot be shaken. It can survive every trial, it can survive every furnace that tries to consume it. It's our love of Christ and His love for us. It cannot be stopped. It helps us when we realize when we have things out of order. The things like our family and friends, and it's good to have these things. We're, not, we're supposed to have them. They aren't bad, and they're from God. However, they cannot be our prime hope. They cannot be the prime source of our identity. When the furnace of trials come, we can either let those things burn off and let God fix the order of your life, or you can be ruined. You can feel like life has been taken from you. We get to choose. Or we can come through the furnace of trial with a new, more focused hope and our purpose clear. We have to know deep down where our hope truly and ultimately lies. In Christ alone, we rejoice in suffering and we realize that we're dependent on the one true hope. I think back to Cliff Young, the guy I started with, the farmer turned ultra marathoner, and I wondered why this guy would run an ultra marathon like that, and I found a quote of his, and I want to read it to you today, and he said, I grew up on a farm, and we couldn't afford horses or four-wheel drives. Whenever the storms rolled in, I'd have to go up and round up the sheep. We had 200 head and 2,000 acres, and sometimes I would run for those sheep for two or three days. It took a long time, but I'd catch them. I believe I can run this race. It's only two more days, five days. I've run sheep for three. That's why he believed he could run that race, and he did. What a guy. Two to three days to run a sheep. How long would you run after a sheep? What dedication. He obviously took good care of his sheep and his animals. You know, I know a similar story um, about a shepherd leaving the 99 to take care of the one that got away. We actually sang about that this morning. If Cliff Young can take enough care to run after a, a, a sheep for three days, 
Just imagine what Jesus would do for you. He suffered persecution and pain that no man ever endured, being separated from God on a cross for us. That is the ultimate trial and suffering. And it shows us what incredible love Jesus has for us. We sang about it. This overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. To realize that regardless of what we're going through, Jesus is right there with us. I think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king throws these three guys into the furnace. And when he looked down and looked into the furnace, he realized there was four people there, and the flames didn't touch them. And we learn out later, you know who the fourth guy was? It was Jesus. He was right there with them the entire time. Just like the song we we, uh, sang this morning, He is all around you. He is within you. He is for you. He is for you. One time ago, Billy Graham told this illustration. I'm not sure it really happened. (laughs) I don't know. But I like where it goes. And he tells the story of these two guys that were looking at a picture. I think we have a, a picture of the, this painting. These two guys were looking at this painting. And the painting is titled Checkmate. It's about this man playing um, chess with the devil. And the devil has the man in checkmate. At least that's what the painting is supposed to be all about. Well, these two guys were looking at the painting... And they realized something. One of them was an international chess player. And when he looked at the painting, he's like, this thing is not right. It is not accurate. That is not checkmate. The man's king has one more move. He was so upset he wanted to talk to the painter. But what I want to tell you this morning is, Whatever you're going through in life, I want you to understand this truth. No matter how dark it gets, no matter how bleak it looks, the king always has one more move. And that's where our hope truly lives. It's the only perspective that really matters. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Jesus didn't promise us it would be easy. In fact, he promised the opposite. He just promised it, that it'd be worth it. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful of what you did for us on the cross. Father, that we can realize that every day of our lives. Father, then we we can realize that's the only reason we can rejoice in suffering. Father, that you never left us. You're always with us. And soon you'll call us home. We just pray this all in your son's name. Amen.
so thankful that we can join together as a body. We realize that we've called this church to do some incredible things here in this world. Father, be with us as we leave this place. Father, that we can give this message of hope to all the people that we encounter. Because we know that you are the only way. Christ alone is the only way for this world. And we just pray this all in your son's name. Amen.